wasn't a responsible agent, I probably would have stayed home. Um, anyway, I got there, and uh, just like this morning, we were worshiping, and uh, you know, my whole outlook on life was just changed in a moment, just like this morning. So it's great to worship together. By way of introduction, we had friends on a small farm north of Topeka. This is years ago, and they had a fair amount of acreage, most of it pasture, some woods, a creek. They ran some beef cattle, and uh, it wasn't unusual to go up and say hi and visit them. They expanded their, their venue. <laughs> uh, they expanded to sheep, and they were going to try sheep. And I went up there one morning and uh, got to help pull a little lamb out of the backside of a sheep. Never done that before and haven't done it since. That was fun. Following that, I put my gloves on and took them off. Um, went up and looked at the lambs in the field. And there were probably, I'm guessing, two or three dozen. And I looked, I noticed something, and I kept looking around and noticed a little more. And what I saw were these lambs, they had bent ears. And it wasn't one or two, it was a bunch of them. And they had crooked tails, like they were bent and broken. And I thought, I know this isn't right, you know. I said, well, what is the deal? Well, our sheepdog. The, the sheepdog that's meant to protect the sheep, she loves to chew on the sheep. And those ears and the broken tail, no kidding. They were all the fruit of the sheepdog. Y you know, the, the sheep needed protecting from the sheepdog. <laughs> the, 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 the sheep needed a shepherd a whole lot more than they needed the sheepdog. We're in a series like a tree in which we're looking at a selection of songs from the book of Psalms. And this morning we're in Psalm 23. I think arguably it's probably the most famous of all the Psalms. And I think that's for a number of reasons. This is something that you'll see quoted in movies. You'll see Psalm 23 referenced in popular cultural communications. It's that well known. You know, it's short, and so that's helpful to be memorable. It's short. It's really simple, and, and it's highly imaginary. You can see it because it's a very visual presentation of a slice of life. So we're going to look at that this morning. The song was written by David. It's a song of confidence in God as his shepherd. So it's this expression of trust in God as the one who keeps and leads, guides, directs, and defends king david throughout his life confident trust in the lord in imagery that's really simple and really easy for us to lay hold of i want to point this out i don't um just this is in case you read other treatments on psalm 23 there are many who when they treat this song they are they make much of the stupidity of sheep and and sheep need help don't they because They'll overeat. They don't respond well to danger appropriately. They'll get lost. They'll get themselves into lots of trouble. And so this goes, sheep are really stupid. And then the comparison of Psalm 23 is we're like sheep. And, and that's the focus. And it's not that I disagree with the comparison. It's very uncomplimentary, but it's probably spot on. But, but this is the thing. If you come away from Psalm 23 thinking about the sheep, you miss the lesson. Because the song is about the shepherd, it's not about the sheep. Now, he, he acts in his role for the sake or the benefit of the sheep, the ones he's taking care of, but the song is about the shepherd, not the sheep. 
So when you come away from Psalm 23, we're meant to have some kind of understanding of God's greatness and faithfulness and ability in keeping us as a good shepherd. So we're on the receiving end of what he's capable of. It's not all about us. It's all about him, Psalm 23. Uh, last week from Psalm 18, we talked about God being a saving God. You remember, Hosanna to the Son of David, to Jesus, you know, save now, you saving God. Well, Psalm 23 shows us that our God is a keeping God, that role of shepherd. He's keeping us. He's not just feeding us. He's keeping us through life right on to the day that we see him face to face in whatever venue that might occur, whether that's death or whether that's at the call of Christ when we meet him in the air. Of course, David grew up as a shepherd, so he knew what it was to take care of sheep that needed, needed taking care of. He'd done that personally. He knew what that was like. But then remember later, as the king of Israel, kings in ancient history, this wasn't true just in Israel, the shepherd was one of the images of a king of a nation, that the kings were seen as shepherds, those who fed, protected, took care of, led, and kept the people under their charge. So he knew what it was to take care of sheep, and then he knew what it was to take care of the nation. And then he takes that role that he knew something about, and then he puts it on God himself, God's keeping, loving care of him. I'm going to read through this song once. It's short, so we can do that. And then we'll go back and we'll address the big rocks. So if you've got your Bible or your app, open Psalm 23. The heading is a Psalm of David. This is where I wish I had a great British voice. You know, one of those great narrating voices, but I don't. You'll have to make do with mine. The Lord, that's Yahweh, all caps, the Lord or Jehovah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Guys, the way I'll go through this song this morning is probably not the way your Bible might outline it, but it's, it's according to the way on the big rocks, the big points I want to make. Verse 1, starting with verse 1, David starts by saying, The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. That's why I will not want, I won't lack for anything, because God himself is my shepherd. We want to put that in perspective. When he uses God's personal covenant name, he's speaking about uh, Yahweh, who's the eternally existent one. So when we say Yahweh, he's the God before there's anything or anyone else. So every power in heaven and earth is under Yahweh. So David's saying the eternal I am, the power above every power, the power that allows or provides for anything else in the universe, that's the one, that's the power that's keeping me. And that's a good place to start, right? That the one that keeps us, nothing and no one can prevent God from accommodating his will in our life. So because it's Yahweh that's my shepherd, that's why he can say, I don't lack anything. 
The power above all powers is my shepherd. He has adequacy in providing me anything I need. And not only that, but remember, it's his covenant name. David's in relationship. He's in covenant with God. God is the one who's committed to me and that I'm committed to in this very personal relationship. The God who spoke the universe into creation is the one speaking and calling to David. The God who led Israel like a flock in the wilderness is the one that's personally leading David. The God who saved David from Goliath and King Saul and the enemies of Israel was still saving and keeping David just like a good shepherd would. Listen to a few verses with this theme of shepherding. This didn't start here with David. God had already described himself and filled the role of a shepherd. But from Psalm 77 verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Out there in the desert during the Exodus period, God was leading Israel like a flock through his under-shepherds, Moses and Aaron. Psalm 78, verse 52, he led out his people like sheep. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 95, verse 7, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So this notion or this image of God as shepherd, it's pervasive throughout the Old Testament. Now, What was true for the nation of Israel broadly, David says is specifically, particularly, personally true of him. That God's not just the shepherd of the big flock, the nation. He says individually, for me personally, God is my shepherd. That's a big thing, right? You can go to church on a Sunday morning, you're part of a congregation, right? But can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm in a group, we might say God is leading, but is, is God leading me? Is Jesus my shepherd? Because, of course, where this goes in the future in the New Testament is to Jesus as the good shepherd, right? The, the shepherd above all shepherds, the shepherd par excellent. Jesus is the good shepherd of John 10, and we'll look at some passages out of John's gospel on this. He's the great shepherd of Hebrews 13, 20. These are titles or descriptions ascribed to him in the New Testament. He's also the chief shepherd of 1 Peter 5, verse 4. Listen to this. This is John 10, and I'll have a few quotes from John 10. Uh, The good shepherd discourse in John's gospel Uh, When Jesus starts speaking and he says, I'm the good shepherd, almost certainly the Jews were hearing in the back of their mind Ezekiel 34. So Ezekiel 34 is well known in the Old Testament because it's about God's shepherds in Israel during Ezekiel's day. And they weren't good shepherds. They were bad shepherds. And instead of feeding the flock and taking care of the flock, they abused the flock. And they didn't go bind up the broken or bring back the scattered. They didn't look for the lost. And so when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's contrasting himself not only to the Jewish leadership of his day, but the historic leadership within the nation of Israel as well. In contrast to all those others in the past, and in contrast to the current leadership, of course, he says, I personally, I am the good shepherd. Listen to this. This is just a few verses out of chapter 10. Uh, he says, the, I call, uh, the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That's personal, isn't it? I call them by name. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't abuse the sheep. No, no chewed ears, no bent tails in this flock. Doesn't abuse them. 
I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Guys, this is all about relationship. I can't imagine. If, are any of you guys religious? And if you were, would you say so? It's a, to, we, we, we care nothing about being religious because what God calls us to is a relationship. And all of this language, it's all personal. It's I call them by name. I know their name. And they know me and I know them. It's all relational. Uh, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you claim Christ, do you follow him? <laughs> That's a question, right? We'll talk about that later. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. He says, I'm going to keep them. My own, I keep them. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. When we talk about this church in our statement of faith says we believe in eternal security. And this is one of those passages that I love. Jesus says this to his sheep. He says, you're in my hand. And my hand is in the Father's hand. And nothing and no one can move you from there. There's no power in heaven or earth that can take you out of the Father's hand or the Son's hand. That's how safe and secure Jesus' sheep are in his keeping care. Jesus' shepherding care is personal. He calls us by name. Shepherding, by the way, was a, this was a big commitment. Shepherding was a, a deal. It was a, it was a vocation. It was difficult work. Genesis 31, 40, when Jacob's lamenting to Uncle Laban what his life was like with living with Laban as a shepherd, he says, it was in the heat of the day and the cold of night. That's how I lived my life under your care, taking care of your sheep. I'm out there in the elements. It's not easy. Uh, think of this, Luke 2, verse 8. We, we always sort of, this is this picturesque scene in our minds. What were those shepherds that the angels spoke to to tell them about Jesus? Why were they out there at night? Because they're, they're living with their flock. It, in the middle of the night, the sun's down. What are they doing? They're taking care of sheep. You know, there's no rest. That's what they're doing. That's what it was required to be a good shepherd. Je uh, Jesus never leaves us, uh, never forsakes us, Matthew 28. He's always with us and always keeping us. Listen to this from John 17, 12. And this is part of Jesus, what's called the high priestly prayer. This is the night he's going to be betrayed. But as he prays, listen to one thing he says. Praying to the Father, while I was with them, his disciples, so the group he's been leading... They know him, and he knows them. They're in that relationship. He says, I kept them in your name. I kept my disciples, those sheep, I kept them in your name, the name which you have given me. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus says, those sheep you gave me, I've kept them. I haven't lost one. You know what? He still hasn't lost any. His sheep, they're safe in his care. In Psalm 18, we saw that David knew God delighted him. That was the last time. In Psalm 23, we see that David knew God was keeping him with the intense care and concern of a shepherd. The benefits David describes in this song in keeping care, Jesus promises, are only applicable to those who belong to Christ, who are Christ's sheep. You know, the big question for us on anything like this is, if I'm to to receive the benefit of Jesus' sheep, uh, shepherding care, I have to be one of his sheep. I have to know that. Uh, he calls me my name. H have you had that moment in your life where you knew I'm moving from death to life? 
or I'm, I'm moving from living life on my own terms and my own ways to I'm following Christ. He is mine and I am his. Because if you haven't, that's what you need. Because this only applies to Jesus' sheep. So are you a sheep? That's the question you want to start with. Am I Christ and is Christ mine? We don't work this up, right? We, salvation is by God's grace alone. That means you don't do anything to get it. By faith alone, I simply say, yes, I know who Jesus is. I believe, I trust in Jesus. God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. If Christ is your sole hope of heaven, you're a sheep, and he knows you by name, and you know him. Verses uh, 2 and 3, in, in verse 1, David says, I, won't, I don't want. Everything I need, God's provided. And he talks a little bit about what that looks like in verses 2 and 3. And again, this is in the language or the imagery of the sheep and the shepherd. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I hope you notice, who's the action? Who's accomplishing all the action here? It's not the sheep. The list of verbs ascribed to God as shepherd, they're all what God is doing. It's not what the sheep are doing. The sheep aren't keeping themselves. The shepherd is keeping the sheep. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me. If you look at this, he makes me. He compels me. He, you know, if I was left to myself, I wouldn't be doing this. God is compelling me. He leads me. It means he conducts me, protects me, sustains me, carries me, feeds me. He restores me. He turns me back. He brings me back. He brings about my recovery. He leads me, just like Psalm 18, two English words that were the same. These are different Hebrew words. He transports me. He guides me. You know, if a sheep needed help, the shepherd could put him over his shoulders and carry him. All the action is on God's part, not David's. The sheep is on the receiving end of the shepherd's care. The shepherd is doing everything. God is doing everything. God the shepherd leads. And David the sheep, in this image, all he does is follows. All he does is follows and he receives what the shepherd gives and he complies with what the shepherd is requiring. He makes me. If Christ is our shepherd as God was David's, are we in fact following his lead or are we cutting our own path? As you know, there are many paths, many options you can choose in life, but there's only one path that is following Jesus. And you know, this is one of the things about sheep. Sheep wander off. And in fact, in Ezekiel 34, it's in two phrases that the, the good shepherd would go out and he would bring back the sheep that have been scattered. Something's startled them they've been driven away but he would also go and he would look for the lost ones you know because we wander off on our own but David shows the shepherds doing all the work all the sheep is meant to do is follow it's all you got to do is follow are we following while Jesus calls us by name and this is important while Jesus calls us by name that's individual isn't it and it's an individual relationship and while his shepherding care is very personal, it's also given in large measure in the context of a larger flock. Shepherds shepherd flocks, don't they? Not just individual sheep. You usually won't see a shepherd with one sheep. You'll see a flock of sheep. 
Sheep are meant to live in a flock. They're a flock animal, and we are meant to live in community. So usually when we sit down with Psalm 23, it's Jesus and me. And, and it should be Jesus and me, but it shouldn't end there. Uh, part of the keeping care Jesus gives occurs through the brothers and sisters in faith we walk through this life with. Part of his care is through the church. A sheep left on its own is not safe, and neither are Christians who try to live life on their own. I hope you're concerned like I am when someone tells me, I say, how so-and-so? Well, they're not in a church anywhere. You know what? My antenna go up. This is not a good thing. You and I, we're not smart enough to be safe on our own, okay? We're not. And you need the fellowship of other sheep, other members of Christ's flock, to rub up against and to bother you and to call you and to pray for you, right? That's part of God's keeping care. It's through the flock. It's through the other sheep. Luke 12 is a great, great chapter, one of my favorite in the Synoptic Gospels. But Jesus says this, when he's talking to his disciples. So John 17, he, he says, I haven't lost any of them. And here in Luke 12, he says this, Fear not, little flock. You guys, you guys that are following me, you're my sheep, I'm your shepherd. He says, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So this is about following him, and you don't make a lot of money following Jesus, but he says, no worry, you're, you're going to get the whole thing. Don't worry, You're, you, you are God's little flock and he's taking care of you. It's plural. So this isn't just singular that Jesus is shepherding me, Jesus is shepherding us. And the elders in line and lamb, 1 Peter 5, that we are under shepherds. We're responsible to somebody else. This isn't our church, this is Christ's church. But corporately, we are trying to follow Jesus, the shepherd. We're not only called to follow Jesus individually, we're called to follow him as part of a local church, a little flock. Uh, verses 2 and 3 describe some of what God's keeping care looked like for David. Look at verse 2. God makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So David pictures the pasturing places God leads him to as green so he says green here alan ross in his commentary translates it this way grassy green meadows grassy green meadows and i think he's spot on when he says this he says david's image is israel in the spring when the early rains have come and everything is green you know if you go to the middle east Two of our daughters live in Southern California. Go there in the summer. It's brown. You know, the orchards are green. They're watered. We get that. But look at the rest. Have I, some of you have heard this. I've got a son-in-law that grew up in Southern California, and I'm not mocking his pain. But he got off on the plane. He'd never been out of Southern California. He flew to Kansas. He flew into KCI, and we're driving from KCI headed to Topeka. He looks around, and there's green everywhere everywhere right and you know what he says he says do they irrigate all this <laughs> i said roy no this is rain this is what rain does <laughs> we've got i think kansas 36 inches a year you know socal nothing like that 
So David, it's like this is the spring of the year. And by the way, if you go to California, it's in the winter that it's green because they get the rains and everything greens up. Well, that's what David's saying. This isn't dry times where you got to search for a little blade of grass here or there. Nope. This is the spring. And David says, the way God takes care of me is like after the spring rains, it's all lush and green. And I get to lie down and there's food everywhere. It's abundant. It's not skimpy. God's given me everything I need. He also describes the kind of waters God leads him to as still you know, the thought if, if a lamb, especially a small one, fell into water that was swiftly moving, it was a torrent, it was a current, they could be swept away. But no, it's when God leads me to get a drink, it's in a place that fits me. It's still, I can bow down there, I can get a drink, I'm in good shape. Like a sheep well-fed and well-watered, David finds God's care complete and satisfying. And I want to focus on this for just a second. To shepherd as a verb means to feed. To shepherd, as a verb, means to feed the lambs or to feed the flocks. What do you think David might be referring to when he says, God feeds me? So right in the image, I'm a, I'm a lamb, I'm a sheep, and so I'm eating grass. That's what God's feeding me in the image. But the image is speaking to reality, right? So it's a reference to something else. I wonder what David's referring to. I wonder how God feeds David I bet my wife said I bet he read his Bible <clears throat> the primary means of spiritual nourishment and refreshing David had in mind was God's word now put this in context in his day about a thousand BC he's got the law he's got the five, the first five books of the Bible he's probably got Joshua and Judges probably doesn't have anything after that he has God's word and he knows God's word and that is definitely what he's referring to and you see this throughout scripture like food to our bodies God's word is food for our souls God's word nourishes and refreshes us spiritually just a few verses Deuteronomy 8 3 David would have known this verse God speaking through Moses to Israel he humbled you he let you hunger and he fed you with manna Remember, they get the, the cornflakes on the ground every morning. He fed you with the manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, the food they got was because God spoke and miraculously provided manna. But it was the reminder to them, we need God and we need God's word. And friends, it's that same verse that Jesus quotes in Matthew 4, 4, when Satan is tempting him in the wilderness. You fasted for 40 days, you're hungry, you deserve some bread, turn a stone into bread. Jesus quoted this verse, that God's word is more important than the food that I put in my body. God's word is more important. Psalm 19:10. God's word is, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb guys in david's day there's no refined sugar and i don't think they had beets in the middle east either so imagine a rather bland diet and someone gives you honey this was the sweetest thing david could imagine and he said when i take in god's word it's like the sweetest thing i've ever tasted it's that to my soul god's word is that to my soul to my mind, to my intellect, to my spirit. 
John 21, verses 15 through 17, when Jesus restored Peter after the resurrection, he told him three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Now, Peter is not shepherding literal sheep, is he? He's leading people, and what does he do? He proclaims God's word. How, how are shepherds meant to feed the church? It's the proclamation of God's word. Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14, Scripture is compared to milk in its elementary principles. Uh, repentance, faith in Christ, baptism, the writer of Hebrews says, those are all elementary principles. That's like drinking milk. Milk's a good thing. But you're supposed to then go beyond milk so that you can eat meat like a grown-up person. And that's the, the deeper or the more profound theology in the Bible. It's food again. And last, 1 Peter 2.2, Peter tells believers to long for God's word like a baby does milk. You know, if you're a little baby, you're a little infant, we've got a few of those around here. If they're crying because they're hungry, they just want somebody to put that um, bottle or or mom in their mouth so that they can get, yeah, I, I about blew it, Vincent, I'm sorry. I, <clears throat> uh, they just want that milk, right? That's all they're thinking about. That's what they long for. Well, Peter says, don't mock my pain, Keith. Peter says, <laughs> you, that's the way you're supposed to want God's word. You're, you're hungry for it. You gotta have it. David fed on God's word. He found it wholesome, satisfying, enlivening, strengthening, and sustaining so is god's word honey and milk bread and meat for us is god's word that for us it should be it should be and let me say if we're not in the habit of meeting god in the scripture this is something that we can do you can get just a bible reading uh, list and you could just read in a bible in a year you can do bible in two years if, if, if this is intimidating or it puts you off, if you just said, I'm going to start tomorrow, I'm going to read my Bible for five minutes, I'm going to start in a place that I think is going to make sense to me, that would be good. And what you'll find is as you start, guys, this is the thing, and I kid you not. You know, if you starve to death, you feel really hungry for a while, but then you know what happens? You don't feel hungry anymore. Because your drive to eat, it's... it's it's, it's gone. And so you, you don't necessarily feel hungry, but you're starving to death. And friends, there's a bunch of Christians, you know what? They're starving to death. And they don't know it. They say, no, I'm okay. And I, it's like, well, you're not. You just don't know enough to know what you don't know. You're starving to death because you're not in God's word. Now, there's lots of venues we can get. We can read by ourselves. I encourage you to. I encourage you to do it every, every day, every morning. Start with five minutes, and what you'll find is five minutes isn't enough. And five will turn into 10 and 10 into 15. And you'll, you'll realize I'm encouraged every day because I'm in God's word. God will speak to you through that. Family devotions, the church on Sunday morning, home groups. But guys, you cannot thrive spiritually apart from God's word. Does not happen, cannot happen. And that's what David's saying here. God feeds me with his word. And that's why I can say, I got everything I need. Jesus is described as the living word of God in John 1. And when we sit down with our Bibles, we're not just reading text out of a book. We're meeting with the good shepherd who feeds us with his word and himself. Let me give you an illustration of this out of John 6. 
In John 6, there's been a crowd, it's thousands, it's over 5,000 people, have been with Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. And they're hungry, physically hungry. And so what does he do? He miraculously feeds them barley bread and fish. He feeds over 5,000 people miraculously. Well, they're loving this, aren't they? Well, Jesus goes to the other side of the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And what do they do? They chase him. And so he speaks to them. John 6, he says, he told them not to work so hard for the physical food of life, but for the food that lasts forever. Verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the water of life. And you'll see that same thing in another part of John 6, and the water of life is John 4, 13 and 14. Jesus says, I'm it. I am the life. And guys, when John talks about in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, Jesus is, God, is God's Word personified. Jesus is God's Word in person. So when we get to know the Bible, God's Word, we're getting to know Christ. When we get to know Christ, we're getting to know Christ through God's Word. They are united. Hebrews 1 speaks of this very, very same thing. So I'm not reading out of a book only. I'm meeting with a person in the pages of my Bible. Jesus is known. He's taken in. He's made part of my soul when I meet with him in his word in whatever setting that is. I'm, I'm feeding on Jesus when I'm in his word. Jesus isn't merely the shepherd who leads. He is himself the food, the water our souls and spirits must have to have real life. Remember John 17, 3. This is eternal life. So eternal, it's life that never ends. It's life to the ages. This is eternal life that they might know you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That he says life, so spiritual vitality, I've been fed. It's in relationship with God through Christ. That's spiritual vitality. The more I know Christ, the more vital I am. The more fed I am, the healthier I am. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. This relationship with God through His Word restores our soul. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord, this is from David also, is perfect. And God's law, we would say today, God's word, guess what it does? It restores my soul. God's word is perfect. It restores my soul. Life is hard. Life is hard. And we need restoration. We need consolation. We need to be rebuilt. And that occurs, God says, through his word. Are we feeding and drinking life from Christ in his word? Look at verse 4. Uh, there's a benefit to knowing Jesus as your shepherd. There's a very practical benefit, a day-to-day -day benefit in knowing Jesus as your shepherd. Verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, the mountains and the ravines, the valleys of Israel, historically been notorious, portions of them anyway, because robbers, thieves, bad people would hide in these places and would waylay travelers in these out-of-the-way places. But also because wild animals lived in these same areas as well. 
So these valleys that were darkened, darkened places, so to speak, that was common for David growing up. He knew what that was. David says he's able to walk through the challenging, threatening, dark times of life without fear because God is a good shepherd and is able to defend and comfort him. The text says, you know, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Some commentators go into a lot of information uh, defining and differentiating those two. For sure, we could say this. If you're a sheep and you're looking up at your shepherd, he's taller than you so you can see him. But he's almost certainly got a walking staff in his hand. And he's walking with that staff. And with that staff, as he needs to, he might poke one of those sheep or those lambs to bring him back in line. But also, when sheep were typically put away at night, it said that they went under the rod. He counted them as they went under his rod into whatever the area of the evening was going to be for their protection when they laid down to sleep. But also, it's, it's a bit of a club, isn't it? That he could defend the sheep against predators or other people with that as well. So the image is, I'm looking up and I see the one who's leading me and he's got in his hand what he needs to take care of me. And that's the thought there. His rod and staff, they comfort me. I know my shepherd is up. He's adequate for whatever it is coming along in life. What fears might cloud my joy today? What might I be worried about? I have anxiety about. Jesus is adequate knowing he's my shepherd, knowing he's leading me through whatever dark place in life I may be going through or I may in the future go through. David says, Christ as shepherd, God as shepherd is enough so that I don't have to fear. Guys, this is a big deal. If you think you're in life on your own and you got to pull it off, you should be anxious. You should be fearful and worried because you're not enough and we're not in control. But David's saying God is enough and God is in control. And this is where knowing something about the sovereignty of God comes in helpfully. If I know there's no person, there's no power greater than God. That means anything that happens, he causes or allows. And so when my life falls apart and I think God's forgotten me, can't happen. He knows everything and he is everywhere. So that's impossible. God knows. And he set his love on me in Christ. He, he can't love me any more than he does. So I know that because God is sovereign, he's all powerful, he causes or allows all, and he loves me, can't love me for, can't love me more. I know that anything he allows, he's in with me and it's somehow serving one of his purposes. I may not always know. In fact, sometimes I don't know, right? Read the book of Job and Job's wondering what's going on. What did I do wrong? How did this bottom fall out? But God's at work and at the end of that process, God shows up and speaks to Job and they have a conversation. So, God is adequate to shepherd us and keep us even in the darkest of times. David's words don't give a fairy tale view of life. And, and if you read, if you read only first and second Samuel and you only read David's life, it's sort of a skate, not entirely, but it's sort of a skate. You know, he goes from victory to victory. But you read the Psalms, you'd think he's always in trouble. You'd think he's always facing enemies because he's crying out to God for help all the time in the Psalms. So there's an affinity there, right? Sometimes that's what life feels like for us. David knew what that was and still said God was adequate. To know the Lord as our shepherd is to be able to live without fear. 
And this is the appropriate fear, by the way, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. God says if we fear him appropriately, we don't need to fear anything else. If we fear the power above all powers, then we don't need to fear anything under that power, subject to that power. Because David fears God and follows God as his shepherd, he needs to fear no one and nothing else. Psalm 27, I hope to look at later. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So Yahweh is my light and my Savior. Whom shall I fear? The power above every power is saving me. Why would I be afraid of anyone or anything else? Proverbs 3, 24 through 26. Uh, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Don't be afraid of sudden terror. The Lord will be your confidence. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, he goes on, you believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. That's what we have in Christ. Jesus' call to peace isn't because we don't face trials, temptations, and suffering. David's life was filled with trials. But in the midst of the trials, we can and should experience peace because Jesus is the one keeping us. Uh, closing out on those last two verses, verses 5 and 6, uh, David shifts perspective. In these verses, David is no longer a sheep. He's a man. He's God's man. And God is welcoming him into his home as an honored guest. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So he has shifted gears, and now he says, I'm at the table God has set for me. My enemies are around, but it doesn't matter. I'm being fated by God here. Commentators don't know, when was this? What are you thinking about? I think a, a likely scenario might be when David was made king initially, you remember the household of Saul wanted nothing to do with him as a king. So you remember for seven years, he was only king in the southern area of Judah, it would be seven years later before he is king over all of Israel. He was opposed by some, but he said, God, God has taken me in and God has raised me up. It says, he has anointed my head with oil. In those days, if you went and the host is honoring you, they would have poured some oil that's perfumed over your head. That's what they would have done. And David is God's honored guest at his table. And he says, God has anointed me with oil. He's honored me in his home, at his table. And the cup is, of course, a metaphor for life and blessing. David says his life is full to overflowing with God's blessings. You know, if, this, if my life is a cup, David says it's full. It's, it's holding as much as it possibly can at God's table. That's what God is doing for me. David's enemies couldn't prevent the Lord honoring and blessing David. Do you think anyone or anything can prevent God from blessing you in the ways he wants to. Not a thing and not a one. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. No one can take the abundant life Jesus means for you away. No one. Ephesians 1.3, we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. No one can take that away from you. Romans 8.17, in Jesus we are co-heirs with Jesus. Is that mind-boggling? So if Jesus is God's heir and God owns everything, then Jesus owns everything and you're Jesus' fellow heir and that means what? That you own everything. 
And you know, you get this in the Revelation, some of the promises to the churches, that you will rule and reign with Jesus in a new heavens and new earth. Does that boggle the mind? No one and nothing can take that away. That's your heritage. It's your inheritance with Jesus because he calls us brothers and sisters. No one can prevent God's blessings. The very riches of Christ are ours. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me wrap this up quickly. I love the way this closes. Uh, Psalm 139 is a very well-known psalm and i was meditating it last year and i was just so encouraged but there's this phrase in psalm 139 verse 5 that says you hem me in behind and before so him it, it, it's a constraint uh, david says god you've hemmed me in and if you heard that on all by itself it might sound weird like god you're you're, you're you sort of locked me up you've you've limited me and i think no i think psalm 23 describes what God hemming him in looks like. God hemming David in is, I'm your shepherd leading you in front, and I've got good and goodness and mercy following you behind. That what is God hemming us in? It's that we've got God in front of us, and we've got God's goodness and mercy behind us. Is that a crazy place to be? God's leading me, he's keeping me, he's providing for me, and if I look behind me, guess what? All that I can see is God's goodness and mercy. Guys, it does not get any better than this. I mean, here on earth, but it will get better in the future. As we look forward in life, are we doing so with confidence, born of knowing God is leading us, God is providing for us, Jesus is our good shepherd, our keeping shepherd. John 10, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, they'll never perish, no one will snatch them out of my hand, my Father has given them to me, is greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You guys, we're in the, the very, very best place any of us could ever, ever be. Well, rise with me if you would, and if these words reflect the prayer of your heart, pray this with me. This is from Psalm 23, or it's, I should say it's inspired from Psalm 23, if we've got that. Father, thank you for the keeping care you displayed towards David. Thank you that Jesus has become our good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for us, who calls us by name, who keeps us in life, and leads us safely home even through death. We entrust ourselves to you with abandon in Jesus' name.